You're listening to a sermon from Pasco Vale Church of Christ. To hear more of our teaching or to find out about the church, please visit our website, pvcc.org.au. Good morning. And a warm welcome to all of you. Glad to see your beautiful faces. Um, I hope you guys had a great week. Uh, welcome to all who are worshipping with us and for those who are listening online as well. It's great to be here in the house of the Lord to bring you the message from the study of Ruth. You know, the study of Ruth is only a short four chapters, yet it is so, it's packed with so much important lessons that we can learn. I hope you will be excited and eager to dig into the scripture with me and open our hearts to hear what the Lord has to say to us today. Let's bow our heads and prepare our hearts. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of scripture. We just pray, dear Lord, that as we dig into your word, that you just speak to us in your special way. May the meditation of our hearts and the word that we speak be holy to be acceptable to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, the book of Ruth is a migrant story. Yet, it is a pivotal moment in history. As we can see from the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew, that Ruth is one of three women that gets a special mention. But why is Ruth in the genealogy of Jesus? What, why does the Moabite women have a place in the family tree of our Savior? Now, we'll soon find out as we work through this book. You know, it takes a lot of courage to migrate to a new country, isn't it? Oh, no, because I myself am a migrant. I come from a small country which can barely even be seen on the map. It's called Singapore. And my grandparents were migrants from China. And now I'm a migrant to Australia. Migrating to Australia was a leap of faith for me as well, as I had no one here, no family, no friends, no relations, nothing. It was scary, it was lonely, and it was daunting. But I thank all the friends that I've made that welcomed me here, including this congregation. You know, in Australia, there's about 30% of the entire population that actually born overseas. So the migrant story is very much part of the culture that is here in Australia. Some have migrated voluntarily, looking for educational opportunities, work, a better life. Others are refugees and asylum seekers. They have no choice but to leave the country and to flee for their lives. I'm sure the migrant story also has deep roots in our church. Just look around you. I dare say a large number of us here have migrated from another country to begin a new life here. You come with absolutely nothing and knowing no one just like me. We had to leave everything behind, family, a home, and even friends. Well, for those who came to Australia, whether through immigration or working or student visas, I want you to take a moment and think back. Think back to the time you first arrived here or when, you, when your ancestors migrated. What did you expect to find? Now, sure, you have heard stories about what it would be like, perhaps a land of opportunities, clean water, good coffee, kangaroos and koalas everywhere. Now, I wonder, as you were about to come, 
What were your hopes? And what were your fears? And now having come here, how have those expectations lined up with your experience? Now for some of us, maybe the experience of being in Melbourne exceeded our expectations. The people were friendly, the city was bustling, and the food was great. Or maybe you came and were disappointed, like my cousin. She was expecting a great nightlife with shopping till late in the evening and theme parks back in, like, back in Singapore. But why was she disappointed when all the shops closed at 5 o'clock? Except for the Friday. Maybe the job market was hard to break into. Or perhaps learning the language was difficult, especially if English wasn't your first language. Maybe it was hard to meet people. And you really missed your loved ones, your friends, back there, back home. And I wonder, as you return back to where you came from, to the country that you were previously from, what did you find back home? A few years ago, I returned back to Singapore to attend my sister's wedding, and things have changed so dramatically. My old school was no longer there. That shows how good the school I was in. The restaurant where I used to do takeout is gone. My cousins have all grown up. When they came to visit, some of them, I do not even recognize them anymore. Some of them are married and even have kids who are older than mine. Some of my aunties and uncles have also passed away. And in some sense, life back home has moved on without me. But in chapter 1 last week, we saw a family struck by tragedy. Naomi and her husband, Elimelech, and their two sons had left Israel for Moab in search of a better life, away from famine. But as they settle down, disaster strikes. Naomi loses her husband, and then both her sons die too. She's left with absolutely nothing but two daughter-in-laws. As Naomi decides to return to Bethlehem, one of her daughter-in-law, Oprah, stays in Moab. But you remember that Ruth makes that bold decision to move back to Bethlehem with Naomi. In verse 16, she clings to Naomi saying, Your people shall be my people, and your God shall be my God. Now Ruth makes the decision to migrate solely based on the promises of God alone. Now things she heard about God of Israel and his people were the influencing factor that made her leave with Naomi. She risked everything to move as a migrant to a new country. Remember, she, had, she was in her hometown in Moab. She had a family there. She had provisions. But she leaves that behind. Her gods and her traditions as well. Everything she left behind. And so the question this week is, what will she find in her new home? What will she find in this community that she's going to be stepping into? And for Naomi, 
She left with a full family, a husband and two sons, and now she come back empty, with only a Moabite for a daughter-in-law. She says, "Stop calling me Naomi, which means sweet. Instead, call me Mara, which means bitter, because the Lord has dealt bitterly with her." And now, as Naomi returns to Bethlehem, she will experience re-entry into her previous home. The question for her as well is the same: What will she find here too? This is the question of the Christian life: As you leave behind your former life, as you leave everything behind to follow God, what sort of life awaits you? What will you? Fine. Or perhaps you grew up in a church, then you left and some time and some time away, and now you return to rediscover your faith. What awaits you? In verse two, Ruth plans. Sorry, we we will pick up today in chapter two with Ruth and Naomi seeking refuge in Bethlehem. And in verse two, we can see that Ruth plans to glean in the field. Now I don't know about you, but gleaning is an act of sheer desperation. Gleaning is where you go into someone else's field, someone else's land, at the mercy of the landlord, and you pick up the leftover grain that remains or have fallen to the ground. In today's term, it would be equivalent to going to someone else's trash bin. Looking for scraps, looking for food that others have left behind. Now it's clear that Ruth and Naomi have returned to Bethlehem in deep poverty. In the patriarchal society, it was hard for women to find work and to provide for themselves, let alone widowed women who were treated in a relatively lower status. They were living below the poverty line. So this act of gleaning was commanded in God's law. Leviticus chapter nineteen, God commands landowners to not reap everything from their harvest. They must leave what remains on the floor and on the edges for the poor and the foreigner. It's a law of compassion, so that God's people will provide for the poor and the vulnerable in their midst. But remember. Back in chapter one, this is the time where the judges ruled. It's one of the darkest moments of Israel's history, where God's law was neglected and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. It was for me, myself, and I. So as Ruth goes out to glean, there is no guarantee that she will find anything. It's unlikely that the generous law of gleaning will be honored. And as woman going out to the fields by herself in verse twenty-two, Naomi knows there's a chance. There is a chance that Ruth could be exalted. But what choice did they have? This was their only means of survival. So this is the question: as a refugee, as Ruth enters the promised land, what will she find there? In her desperation, 
She has no other choice but to place her hopes solely in the law of God and the integrity of God's people to honour it. It's the same when we turn to follow God. It's a big decision, isn't it, to become a Christian, isn't it? You stand to give a lot. You must have, some of you may have to live a comfortable life, a successful career, for some maybe even family. We're called to take our cross and to follow Jesus. As we do so, in some way, we are trusting solely in God's promises. And we are entrusting ourselves to God's people, His church. We are trusting that people will lead us in a good direction and will take care of us. So what will we find? Well, next we'll see that as Ruth seeks refuge, what she finds is grace. Grace. Because in verse 1, we're introduced to a new character described as Naomi's relative. A worthy man from the the same clan as Naomi's husband, Elimelech, whose name is Boaz. In a dark world where the judges ruled, we meet someone entirely different Someone that stands out, a worthy man, a man of wealth and integrity. And in verse 3, as Ruth goes out to glean in the field, she happens, happens to land in the field belonging to Boaz. Now, what are the chances? There's an old say, there's an old rom-com called Sliding Doors. And the, and the, pro, the premise is, how would life be different if the sliding doors of a train stay open for just one second more. Because in that movie, the path the main character's life differs dramatically depending on whether she managed to catch that train back to her apartment that day. It's the same here. Ruth's fate depended entirely on whose field she landed in. She could have landed somewhere else where God's law is neglected and where people are mistreated and abused. Or she could have landed in the field of this worthy man. And that will change everything. Look at the son, the sort of person Boaz is. In verse 4, it says, As the boss, he was a great relationship with employees. They bless each other. You know, there's a mutual trust and respect. Now, if only my boss was like that, I'll be lucky if she replies my emails. Now, as Boaz learns of Ruth, he treats her like a protective father. In verse 8, Boaz calls Ruth daughter. Daughter, a term of gentleness and affection, and tells her not to leave this field. He knows that this is a dark and dangerous time. And so she's to stay there because it's safe. Now Ruth and Naomi have sought refuge in a foreign land and they have found and what they have found is a worthy man who treats Ruth like one of his own. Ruth finds in God's people what God's people are meant to be. Let me repeat that. Ruth found in God's people 
what God's people are meant to be. I wonder if that was your experience as you came to faith, as you entered the church for the first time and interacted with God's people. What was that like? Did they treat you kindly? Did they treat you gently? Were you nurtured? You know, so much hinges on where you land. I wonder what will people find when they come to Pascoville Church of Christ? What would they find here? In this beautiful story, we find models of faith in a dark world that reminds us what sort of community, what sort of a church God has called us to be. A community of compassion and concern for the vulnerable. Over the next few months, we'll be considering how at Pascoville Church of Christ, we can be a community that warmly welcomes those who are new. For those visiting us for the first time, those taking perhaps even their first steps to coming to faith. But it's not just what we do in our services. This warmth and care needs to go be part of the culture of our church and part of the culture of our being. It needs to be owned by each and every one of us. That as the people take a big risk to live behind their own life to follow God, they will not just they will find not just God's word to be good and true, but they will find God's people. God's people, you who are sitting in this room, to be good and true too. Because we are the face of our Lord. It's just like the scuba diving community that I'm part of. Now, I was talking to someone recently with, who used to dive with other dive clubs. But they felt like they just never fitted in. They found themselves ignored and unnoticed. They attended a couple of events, walked in and out and of the club without even so much as a polite, even high and bye from anyone. Everyone was just in their own little cliques, own little chat groups. And that was it for them. So what did they do? They left. Imagine taking a step of faith living behind an old life and stepping into a new church, and that's what you find. A church that does not even acknowledge your existence. How sad is it? As so, Pascoville Church, what if we are different? What if we were different? What if as people come into our church, they will find people who gravitated towards them? What if when we saw a newcomer or someone we haven't met before, we didn't sit two seats apart from this person, but we actually sat down right next to them and talked to them and treated them like our own friend? Because ultimately... Ultimately, how we treat the foreigners, how we treat the strangers, the people new and unfamiliar, unfamiliar to our church, they are the marks of the genuine, genuineness of the Christian community. Boaz goes even further. 
He doesn't just allow Ruth to glean in his fields and protects her from danger in verse 14. He even invites her into the home for a meal. Ruth is treated better than a servant. She's an honored guest being served by the owner of the household. And Boaz is the one who serves her. He offers her the bread and the wine. He passes her the roasted grain. Even after the meal, there were even leftovers for her to take home to Naomi. As Ruth goes out to glean again, Boaz instructs the young man in verse 15 to even pull out some bundles for her. Don't just give her the drags, but give her the best. After a day of hard work, she takes home an ephah, which is about 20 kilos worth of barley. She's made the equivalent of two weeks' wages in just one day. While seeking refuge in a foreign land, what Ruth has found is protection. She's found provision and honor. And the most important thing of all was that she found grace. She found grace from a man called Boaz. Now look at how Ruth is described through the passage. In verse 2, Ruth the Moabite, not Jew, Ruth the Moabite. Verse 6, the Moabite woman from Moab. Verse 21, Ruth the Moabite. You get the point. Ruth doesn't belong there. She was not a Jew. She was not part of the community. She's a foreigner, a widow. Having left the country, she's now also an orphan. And she's poor. She checks every box. This is someone Boaz has never met. He knows he owes nothing to her. Yet he treats her better than his own. In verse 10, she's overwhelmed and she falls to her face and says, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me, a foreigner? What has she done to deserve this kindness? The answer is a straight nothing. She's done nothing to deserve what she received. Sure, Boaz has heard about Ruth's uh, devotion to Naomi, but ultimately her actions didn't drive his kindness. It was all about Boaz, his kindness, his character, and his grace. And so that's why, as we read through the story of Ruth, it isn't enough to end here, because everyone is searching for that Boaz. But does he even exist in today's world? Which is why, we need to look beyond what we can physically see to the God who sits behind it all. In the book of Ruth, there's no such thing as a random coincidence. In verse 3, was it just a random chance that Ruth happened to land in Boaz's field? There were countless fields that she could have landed in, but she just happens to stumble across the right one. No, 
God has designed this encounter. It wasn't by chance. That by the seeking refuge in the field of Boaz, Ruth also sought refuge in the Lord. Have you ever experienced such great kindness and generosity from someone that you have felt it was literally God loving you? That you are experiencing through someone else's generosity and provision, the love of God himself. I can tell you from encountering some of the homeless people, some of them actually feel that way when someone blesses them. They're so appreciative. That's how God works in this world, my friends. Because Boaz's kindness and grace is the embodiment and the incarnation of God's love towards Ruth. For Ruth, she came and found that the love of God wasn't just an empty promise. It was real. This wasn't just empty words she heard from, from heard about God back in Moab. But no, his love is real. It's tangible. You can feel it. It's embodied. The profoundly love of the profound love of God impacted her life and also her future. As Ruth risked everything to move to a strange new land, what she finds there is God who loves her. God who loves you. A God who is exactly what is promised through his word and even more. I hope you can see how the book of Ruth is a story or picture of the gospel. Because just as Boaz mediates God's love to Ruth, he is pointing to Jesus. The very perfect embodiment and incarnation of God's love towards each and every one of us. Boaz here gives us an insight into God's kindness. His love is protective. He doesn't allow us to be harmed, but looks over us as a good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. His love is generous. He doesn't just give us the leftovers, but gives us his very best. And through Christ, he invites all of us into his home, into his fold, into his loving arms, as not just strangers, but his very children. His love is affirming. God rejoices over us and commands our faith and commands our faith. He knows our story. He tells us, don't you go anywhere else. Because with me, in my field, this is where you belong. Ephesians chapter 2 says that at one time us Gentiles were separated from Christ, aliens from, from Israel. Strangers to the covenant, no hope, no God in the world. But now you were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. That's what the book of Ruth is about. That is why Ruth has a special place in the genealogy of Jesus. 
In verse 18, Ruth returns to Naomi. And you can imagine how Naomi would be feeling. She would have been worried all day about Ruth. You know, not sure if she'll be, she'll be mistreated or assaulted. Whether she'll come back with anything or whether she'll come back at all. And then imagine her surprise when Ruth comes back, not just safe, but in her arms, a big bag of barley. As Naomi hears how Ruth has been cared for by Boaz, she exclaimed, May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living and the dead. Now whose kindness is she referring to, Boaz or the Lord's? The answer is both. Their kindness is one and the same. Because this is how God loves us. We experience God's love through his people. In verse 12, Boaz knows that as Ruth seeks refuge in his fields, she has ultimately sought refuge in God, in the God of Israel. It's under his wings that she found safety. And it's why migration is a beautiful picture of faith. As Ruth, the foreigner, leaves everything behind to go to the promised land. Isn't this Moabite woman the true daughter of Abraham? You know, like Abraham, all those years ago, who left everything behind to follow God. That's exactly what Ruth has done here. In many ways, her story, the story of what God's people were always meant to be. We are simply travelers who have taken the risk to leave everything behind to follow Jesus and who have tasted the richness and the goodness of his kindness. Isn't it amazing how their fortunes have changed? Naomi, who was called bitter, who refused with nothing, who returned with nothing, sorry, now has received fullness and abundance. Previously, she could not see any hope, any grace, any promise. But now as she looks back, she recognizes that through all those years of bitterness, God's kindness had never forsaken her. All those years she felt God had been bitter. All those years she felt God had been bitter, she later came to realize that it was always his kindness that was actually working through her weaknesses. That's, my friend, is our hope. That sometime we turn to God, it may feel God has dealt bitterly with us. Maybe we have let, maybe people have let us down, or the Christian life hasn't measured up to our expectation. But in reality, God's kindness has never forsaken you, my friends. Because as you turn to Jesus, leaving everything behind and come to Him, what you find is a redeemer. You know, I still remember the night by myself on the verge of giving up my faith. Because like Naomi, I felt that the Lord had dealt bitterly with me and had forsaken me. But that night, as I knelt on my knees in tears, the Lord cried out to me and called out to me and said that the reason I did not hear him, the reason that I did not see his goodness and kindness was because I was putting other things before him. That night, I made a decision to let go and let him take over. I was redeemed and I never looked back and regretted letting him take the whole of my life. 
If you ever doubt God's love for you, remember Jesus, who left his heavenly home. And what would he find in his new home? He come to a world where he would be rejected and forsaken. But he took the journey to the cross so that we turn to him, we will find refuge under his wings and in his arms. We may not always see it. We may not always see it, but God is always at work through every detail of your life. You know, John Piper says that God is always doing 10,000 things in your life. And you may be aware of only perhaps three things. But what Ruth and Naomi will not yet realize is that through their seemingly insignificant lives, God is using them to bring forth the King of Israel, the ultimate Redeemer of the world. The story of Ruth is about kindness. That even in the darkest times, there exists a true story of kindness in our journey of faith. So let me encourage you, if you are here wanting to find out more about who God is, you come to the right place. Not because we are perfect here, but because we are confident you find Jesus to be good and kind. And maybe if you are revisiting the faith you left behind many years ago like I did, you're in the right place too. Because no matter how far you walk or strayed away from Christ, how far you've fallen like me, you're always welcome back into God's arms. And you're always welcome back at this church. Our goal each week is that we hold true or behold the beauty of the true stories that lift us out of darkness. That reminds us that hope and kindness still burns bright in every one of us. But we are only part of the way there. The best is yet to come. So let us pray and ask God and thank God for that blessing. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the beautiful story of Ruth and the beautiful message that you bring. Thank you for reminding us that you're always there for us, that you always love us, that your goodness will always be there. Sometimes when we are struggling or when we face challenges, we can't see that goodness and that kindness and we feel that you are bitter towards us. But that's so far from the truth because you loved us so dearly that you sent your one and only true son, Jesus Christ, to die upon that cross for us, to redeem us, to bring us back home. Lord, as your disciples challenge us, rebuke us, and train us in your righteousness to love others as you have loved us. Challenge us to be welcoming, to, to love the foreigner, the stranger who has yet to hear your word and your gospel. Help us to welcome those from other religions even who are, who are exploring Christianity or wants to know more about the faith that we hold true. Let us, as your children, shine for you wherever we may be, in our workplaces, in our families, in our relationships, and even to our children. Let us be that light that is on the hill that should not be covered. Let us shine bright. Let us be your salt and your light in this world. 
We thank you, God, for the gift in sharing of your ministry with others. We thank you that you've used our insignificant lives for your greater good and your great and your grand plan. So whatever our lives may be here for the purposes of Pastor of your church and beyond, we trust that, dear Lord, that you use it for your glory. And someday, someday when we're in heaven, we can see what you've done. We thank you, God, and blessings. In Jesus' precious and holy name we pray. Amen.